We're looking at two Sundays in a mini-series called Bounty. Everybody say Bounty. How many of you know the blessings of God are bountiful? Uh, Today, as we look at this, I want to teach you a little bit about a kingdom concept of abundance, particularly in the way we see the world, because how we see the world is going to determine how we live in the world, whether we are open-handed and generous, or we are closed-fisted and stingy or greedy. And this is not just in finance. This is in every aspect of our lives, loving God and loving people, Um, sharing our friendship, sharing encouragement, sharing ways that we can be a blessing to others. And if we live out of a worldview of abundance, then we are not scared. We are Um, we are not limited in our belief systems. Many times it's the limiting beliefs that people have that in bondage them, that put them in a cage in terms of opportunities or sometimes commitment or follow through. And so this morning, understanding kingdom abundance is the title of the message today. Next week, we're going to be talking about managing kingdom abundance. Okay. Because I believe the problem is not having the blessing. The problem is how we handle the blessing. So we're going to be talking about some very specifics next Sunday. And by the way, I received a call this week, or actually last week, from a member of our church here. Um, Just really, really excited that they said, you know, I have a real heart for this. After the first of the year, I would like to lead a Dave Ramsey financial peace group. And I said, I have wanted that to happen here for years. You cannot know how much I appreciate your responding to the voice of the Holy Spirit in doing that because there's some phenomenal financial principles that I think will help people learn how to develop some financial maturity. And we're going to be talking about that next week getting out of a wilderness mentality where you're expecting God to dump your breakfast on the lawn every morning with the manna and then going into the promised land where they had to plant crops and ate mature corn. And God through Moses said, there's copper in those hills. Well, you know what? If you're going to get the copper out of the hills, that that means we're going to have to W-O-R-K work. A lot of folks just want a blessing, but they don't want to work for it. It was was that Thomas Edison quote said one time, many folk miss opportunity because it shows up in overalls and looks too much like work. And so um, work is a blessing from God in Genesis chapter 1, 2, 3. Though we have to deal with the curse in the world, work itself is not something that is cursed We have to work in spite of the curse, but work is a blessing from God. When we can find our purpose, when we can begin to take up the plow in the area where God has given us passion and where we see a need, where those two things intersect, I taught my children for years, if you will truly throw yourself into your heart's desire, don't go to school and study something just because you think money's in that field because fields change, economies change, circumstances change. Throw yourself into developing your skill and wherever your heart is, and eventually the money will follow you. And both of my children are proving that because they're not afraid to work. And so this morning, as we look, the text is found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 
about a verse and a half, verse 10 and 11a. And this is what the word of the Lord says. Back to verse 10. For God, everybody say God. God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will say these words, provide an increase. Say it again. Provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Verse 11, yes, you will be, say it, enriched in every way so that, or in order that, or this is the purpose, this is the why, okay? So that you can always be generous. Go back and let's get these two verses one more time, please. We recognize that it is God. Moses spoke to a generation that had been wandering in the wilderness for 38 years, camped on the other side of the Jordan for the last two, and he took that time to present to them the Deuteronomos, the second giving of the law. Deutero two, Namos law, okay? Autonomy, you see Namos, self-government, all right? So when Moses gave Deuteronomy, it was the preparation of a generation who had been born in the wilderness because everybody who left Egypt died in the wilderness over a 38-year period except for the two. It was Caleb and Joshua who came with a good report in Numbers 13 when Moses sent out representatives from the 12 tribes to spy out the land. And 10 returned with an evil report and two came back with a good report. God didn't instruct them to go and conduct a feasibility study to see if they were able to take the land. He said, go and spy out the land and see the blessings because it is a land that flows with milk and honey. Somewhere along the way, they confused the mission. The why. Why are we going? And in the process, they caught a glimpse of the Anakim, the giants that dwelled in the land, the walled cities, everything that would stand as an obstacle in the face of their limited ability. And because of their limiting beliefs, they fail to see the, prim- the promise of God fulfilled in their generation because when it came time to have a committee meeting and to talk about what they saw, 10 came back and said, the giants are in the land and we were like grasshoppers in their eyes. And that was because they saw themselves in their own eyes, in their own limiting belief structures, their mentality, their worldview, the way they were looking at the world. And God told Moses to tell the people, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, remember two things he said over and over in Deuteronomy, do not forget, remember. One is the negative side, do not forget. Remember is the positive side, remember. To remember something is to put all the memories back together, to, to, to put the members the arms and the legs and the eyes and the head and the feet and the knees and all of the collective parts of the memory to remember that it is the Lord your God who would give you the power to get wealth so that his covenant might be established in the earth. 
When you get over there and you're prospering, in that moment, do not forget that it is the Lord your God who did this for you. It was Cotton Mather, who was the great Puritan preacher who said that religion birthed prosperity and the daughter turned and ate the mother. I believe that we have a God who so wants to bless us beyond our wildest imagination. I do not confuse the gospel with the American dream because I think that has been brought to bear in what we call the American prosperity gospel. Though I do believe that you can take scripture and show that God wants to prosper you. I, I can quote 20 without even blinking in the next few moments. Uh, Psalm 35, 27 says, The Lord delights in the prosperity of his servants. 3 John 2, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And that's an indicator. Your physical, mental, well-being, health, your prosperity and your finances, your relationships has everything to do with how healthy your soul is. It's one thing to understand the abundance of God. It's something else to know how to manage the abundance of God. God wants to bless us. But I want to tell you something right now. Prosperity is always the far greater test. Because when I don't know where my next meal comes from, I don't have a problem staying spiritual. I don't have a problem remembering that I better get on my face and pray because I need God to zip open the heavens and drop my lunch down to me some way. Whether it comes on the wings of a raven like it did to the prophet Elijah or whether I'm in a crowd when God decides to tap the shoulders of a little boy with a happy meal with five loaves and two fish and multiplies it and feeds 20,000. Lord, where's my next meal coming from? And it's, it's not a hard thing to remember that I need to pray when I'm desperate in a place of need and I'm walking in a position of lack and poverty is all around me and the leading economic indicators of the day are all headed in a downward cycle. But I want to tell you right now that we live in a greater kingdom. We, live in a, we are citizens of a greater kingdom. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. Some of you need to shake yourselves from your drinking your Kool-Aid of your particular political party. And I'm talking to both sides this morning. Because you think the devil, you think that the country's going to hell in a handbasket when this one's in or when this one's in. And there are problems always with both sides. And as a Christian, you are a citizen of a higher kingdom and you cannot be captivated by that divisive kind of political nonsense. Help me. We got to remember that we are not limited. If, if we see ourselves in grasshoppers, as grasshoppers in the eyes of the problems that are in front of us, then we will limit ourselves in terms of the ability to conquer the problems that are in front of us. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. Notice he gives the farmer what he needs to put in the ground, but then God also blesses the process of the harvest and the, the grinding and the, the fine processing of the wheat and, and the trial and error that God has stamped into this thing called creation that Benjamin Franklin gave us this, if at first you don't succeed, then what? It's just all over the thing. If you don't get what you're wanting, it's an amazing law that cannot be revoked. And that is that, that when you sow a seed, you're going to reap a crop. And it's going to be based on the seed that you sowed. It works in agriculture. It works in relationships. It works, it works in business. It works in leadership. It works 
in your home with your spouse and with your children. It works in our actions and our attitudes and what we sow is gonna come back to us. Ecclesiastes said, when we cast bread upon the water that it will come back to us on every wave. So we gotta keep on casting, we have to keep on sowing. God not only puts the seed in the hands of the farmer, but then he blesses the process of being able to make the bread so I can have something to eat. In the same way, say it, he will provide and increase. Say those two words, come on. Provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. There's no excuse for being a blood-bought, spirit-filled believer in the kingdom of God and being stingy. We're called to be generous. And please, please, please hear me. This is not just whip you up to give a good offering next week. This is remind you who you are as an ambassador of a higher kingdom, as a citizen of the kingdom of God. You have unlimited resources at your disposal. You have been blessed, past tense, with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Verse 11a, yes, you will be enriched. Everybody say rich. You will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Well, pastor, you just don't know my situation. You don't know what I'm going through. Everybody in the room has an abundance. We are rich. The poorest person in the poorest county in America, which I think a few years ago statistically was shown to be two counties over in Phillips County, Arkansas, per capita, poorest county in the United States of America. Did you know the poorest person in that county living in a shack without heat is richer than the most of the population of the rest of the world? And we fail, we fail to recognize that where we are and what we have, God has already given us everything that we need to bless us in our future. The problem is twofold. Do I understand kingdom abundance? And then when I begin to understand it, do I know how to manage kingdom abundance? Are you ready? Are you getting anything out of this yet? Let's pray. Father, help us today in Jesus' name. As we attempt to open this word, I ask you to be, Holy Spirit, be the eyes and ears. Give us perception. Give us perspective. Let us bring glory and honor. I ask you for two things, Lord, for clarity in my thinking and brevity in my speech. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, one thing. This is what we're going to repeat just for a few more minutes. Find a screen, read it with me. Whatever God blesses, multiplies. Say that again. Whatever God blesses, multiplies. My job is to grow in knowledge and wisdom so that I can faithfully steward the increase of God in my life. Now, one more time. Give me 110% like you mean it. Here we go. Whatever God blesses, multiplies. My job is to grow in knowledge and wisdom so that I can faithfully steward the increase of God in my life. The word bounty, I just wanted to look at it this morning. Bounty for this series, two parts. Something that is given generously. We talk about nature's bounty. You see a cornucopia behind me in the season that we're approaching in Thanksgiving after the harvest when you have the bountiful blessings of a great crop. It's also, the meaning is liberality and giving, generosity. The yield, especially of a crop, this summer's bounty of tomatoes. It gives an example in Miriam's English 
dictionary. It's also a reward or a premium or a subsidy, a subsidy, especially when offered or given by a government, such as an extra allowance to induce entry into the armed services. So you get a signing bonus. The bounty word comes from bonitas, which means bonus. So God has a bonus for you this year. You just need to claim it. You need to believe for it as Emily, Dr. Emily Sides sang this morning so beautifully. It's also a grant to encourage an industry. It is a payment to encourage the destruction of noxious animals. Oh, I, I, I got to resist my son, who is a, a redneck with a capital R. I love him. He thought it was the coolest thing to go up in a helicopter with a uh, AK-47 or whatever. I don't know, AR-15. I'm not sure what kind of automatic thing it was. And they shot feral hogs in Texas because they were destroying the crops. And, you know, bought a ticket to fly around a helicopter for two hours and killing hogs that were killing crops. The last one is a payment for the capture or the assistance in the capture of an outlaw. How many of you know we have an enemy? I'm not talking about the person at work you don't like. I'm talking about the enemy of your soul, Satan, Satan, the adversary. We have a thief that we need to catch. The scripture says in John 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it more. There it is right there. Bountifully, abundantly, running over. There is a, a thief that needs to be caught. Proverbs says when you catch a thief, he has to return sevenfold what he stole. How many of you know you got a bounty out there because some of you have been stolen from? Somebody say amen. Point number one, the world you see. There's, there's two kinds of worldviews that I want you to grab hold of here. The first one drives the study of economics, and that's the principle of scarcity. Scarcity is the idea is that there is one pecan pie at the Thanksgiving table. And you've got 14 people, six extra showed up that you didn't know were coming. And you got to cut that pie into the slivers that is you just barely not even going to get a sniff of it. <laughs> That's scarcity. Abundance is, you don't know it, but granny's already been back there whooping up three more. Because she's got all the resources ready, and they're in the oven cooking, and you don't know it, and you're looking at the pie wondering how tiny your slice is going to be. Scarcity will scare you. There are principles of scarcity that we can't get around. Gold is more valuable than dirt because there's more dirt than there is gold. Now, until you put the dirt in a location at Fifth Avenue in New York City, then that dirt is more valuable than gold that can be added up and stacked in its place. How I many you know there's always another exception that it's not just a general principle, but you need to examine in ways that sometimes God can turn some things around and, and flip the tables. Are you hearing me? And, and I want you to recognize that the, the thing that drives our economy and that drives the world in which we live, the world system that we must be in but not of, that we must live in but recognize that our citizenship, Philippians chapter 3, is in heaven. We are citizens of a greater kingdom, a higher kingdom, and we're not limited by the limiting beliefs of scarcity of this world. The Enlightenment period of history, 1700s, 
It was the move to dethrone faith from the central place of influence in culture and to put reason. And there was a famous Anglican priest by the name of Thomas Malthus. And it just, first of all, irks me that it was a man of God who came up with this because I want to go, where is your faith, O oh man of God? And based on statistical studies, Malthus, where we get the, the word Malthusian, which is an, a particular extremely dramatic end-of-the-world crisis situation, Malthus saw that the population was going to explode so exponentially that we would not have the ability to grow food to feed the hungry mouths and that there would be famine and massive starvation and most of the population of the world would end up dying off due to disease and famine and starvation. At the same time during the Enlightenment that this preacher, this Anglican priest, was promoting these Malthusian ideas of the end of the world, there was a Frenchman by the name of Condorcet that took the extreme opposite view and said that that has absolutely no bearing on the future, that we're about to step into a whole new world of limitless possibilities with more food that we can stack up and have people in mouths to eat it. And of course, neither one of them knew that just around the corner, the Industrial Revolution was about to enter into history. I'm I have a couple of degrees in history, and I love history because I make an attempt to tell the stories. It's more than just dates and dead guys, and it is the inspired look at how things have changed over time. History is defined as change over time, and there are two views of it. Either it is the slow crockpot of evolution, and don't be a fundamentalist and knee-jerk that word. There's nothing wrong with the word evolution. When I use the word evolution, I simply mean by definition change. Everybody in this room has evolved. If you haven't, you're dead. Evolution is a fact. I'm not talking about Darwinian biological evolution where from a single-cell organism became a monkey and then a monkey became a person. I, no, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. I am, that is far from my, my talking about evolution. That is slow, progressive change over time as opposed to revolution where in a moment the American Revolution, the French Revolution... The Enlightenment was a mental revolution. The Renaissance was a cultural, mental revolution. Ideas came and changed. The Reformation was a revolution based on the Word of God. The Industrial Revolution was, a, was the entrance of a mechanical machinery that all of a sudden, after Cyrus McCormick gave us the reaper, what took literally 12 men to harvest from an acre in a, in a day. One man with a, with a Cyrus McCormick's reaper could reap that whole acre. And it was the beginning of just a multiplicity of ideas where we could agriculturally begin to multiply the food where America would become the breadbasket for the world. And Malthus ended up having a black eye, the man of faith. Isn't that something? The church guy. Condorcet ended up being right about having such a, an overabundance that we would have more food than we would have mouths to put in. That's the case in America right now. Yet we have people in these little villages and hamlets and small cities and in homes in this area where we live where children are food insecure. God help us. It's not because we don't have enough. It's because something's jacked up with our system. 
I don't want you to live in scarcity. I want you to live and stretch your thinking. It is the, the Lord God who gives you the power to get well so that his covenant might be established on the earth. Do not forget that. Remember it. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, remember. Economics is driven by a scarcity concept. Whatever God blesses multiplies. My job is to grow in knowledge and wisdom so that I can faithfully steward the increase of God in my life. All nature is stamped with God's blessing of multiplication. Point number two, it is the principle of kingdom multiplication. Before the first chapter of Genesis was over with, the garden is nearly complete. Man is in the middle of it. And God says to him, I have given you the seed-bearing tree. And literally, it was a tool. He said, I'm putting into your hand that if you will plant this, there is a cycle that will take place here called the law of seed time and harvest. And, and what you plant, you're going to reap. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You reap in the same kind that you plant. What you sow, you reap. You don't reap it in the same season. You sow in one season and you reap in the next or in one to follow. And we must recognize that there are principles of sowing and reaping that are stamped into the creation. They are universal laws. They are principles that are immutable, that are irrevocable, that are unchangeable. Somebody say amen. You plant one tiny corn seed and you will grow a stalk that will have at a minimum at least three to four ears growing on that stalk. And every one of those full-grown ears of corn will have anywhere from 300 to nearly 1,000 seeds on that one full-grown ear of corn. And so one seed has now just become 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 seeds multiplied over. There's exponential return in the kingdom of God. When you make the decision to show kindness to someone and live out of a spirit of generosity in a, in a kind of open-handedness and not a closed fist stinginess with your love, oh man, oh no man, oh, oh no man anything except to love him. That's the debt that we have. It's the debt to the Father who so loved that he gave. And, and it's, even in the, it's even in the pattern of God. For God so loved that he gave. The first law of love is giving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. God so loved that he gave. And guess what? Because he gave his son, God is expecting an exponential return, an increase on the seed that was sown. Of himself, Jesus spoke in John 12, and he said, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit, many sons unto glory, multiplied in his same image. Somebody say amen. So God is expecting a harvest of sons. God gave a son and expects a family to be reproduced. 120 born on the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches, 5,000 born day after day. The Lord added daily to the church throughout history, revivals in every generation, multiplied untold millions, even billions of people. There are more professing Christians alive on the planet right now today than there ever have been in all of the cumulative last 2,000 years of church history. This is a pregnant moment 
This is a moment where we can lose sight of the abundance of God and be captured by a limiting belief of scarcity when we're not a people of scarcity. We are not grasshoppers in the eyes of our problems. You might be grasshopper in your own eyes, but God does not call you a grasshopper. He's called you a giant killer. Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Whatever God blesses multiplies. My job is to grow in knowledge and wisdom so that I can faithfully steward the increase of God in my life. Point number three, and I'm finished this morning. Make room for growth. Make room for growth. This is an interesting story in 2 Kings 4. And verse 1 says this. Elijah has already been caught up to heaven. His prodigy, Elisha, if you ever get those confused, remember J comes before S or S-H. Elijah came before Elisha, okay? One day the widow of a member of the group of prophets came to Elisha and cried out, My husband who served you is dead, and you know how he feared the Lord, but now a creditor has come threatening to take my two sons as slaves. What can I do to help you, Elisha asked. Tell me, what do you have in the house? What have you got? What have you got? She says, nothing at all except a flask of olive oil, she replied. And Elisha said, borrow as many empty jars as you can from your friends and neighbors, then go into your house with your sons and shut the door behind you. Pour olive oil from your flask into the jars, setting each one aside when it is filled. A couple more verses and I'm finished. So she did as she was told. Her sons kept bringing jars to her and she filled one after another. Soon every container was full to the brim. Bring me another jar. Bring me another jar, she said to one of her sons. There aren't any more, he told her. And then the olive oil stopped flowing. When she told the man of God what had happened, he said to her, now sell the olive oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on what is left over. Sell your oil and pay your debts. And this morning, I just want to close this message today, understanding kingdom abundance to remind you there's something you have in your house that God can use, and whatever he blesses, multiplies. Whatever he puts his blessing on in your house, something you've already got. Come on. It may be your granny's coconut pie recipe that you start cooking that thing up, and the neighbors around you start wanting it, and then the whole city starts putting in orders, and before you know it, you're opening a factory, and you've got a multi-million dollar operation. That's how some of these businesses have started. Don't look at me in that tone of voice. Come on, there's blessing that is destined for you. There's blessing. There's blessing on your investments. There's blessing on your family. God wants you to raise children that are champions. Come on, let's get outside of the scarcity mentality that just basically prays, God, please let me get them raised and just keep them out of jail. No. God wants you to raise kingdom champions that are going to be world changers, that are going to step into every area of life. 
There'll be school teachers that change children for generations, that that will come up with new ways and means in order to be able to uh, accomplish something in this area that the Delta has never seen before. God has done it over and over and over and over and over in generations past. People who wouldn't be so consumed by their grasshopper mentality and the giants of the problems that are in front of them that they would possibly just reach up and say, God, open my mind and take away my limiting beliefs. And God, all I've got is this little flask of oil. And he says, if you'll just get all the jars you can, borrow all of them from your neighbors. And this is what I want to say to you. Look at your neighbor and say, use what you have. I'm reminded of one of the judges of Israel. He was out there plowing the field one day and here comes this Philistine horde and they're attacking the enemy. They're attacking the people of God. And he stopped and he broke up the plow and he made weapons out of it and he got up and kicked some Philistine tail because he did what he could. He used what he had and he started where he was. He did what he could, he used what he had, and he started where he was. And it's that same kind of a story here in this same little miracle episode that takes place with this widow woman whose husband is dead, and they're ready to foreclose on her house, and they're going to take her sons into debtor's prison. No, they're going to make slaves out of them. And the man of God says, this is the word of the Lord to you. Borrow every vessel you can, bring it into your house, and pour every vessel full, close the door, And as soon as the last vessel was brought, the oil stopped flowing. It's a capacity issue in your life. Do you have enough room for God to bring the blessing when he decides he wants to bless you? Are you hearing me this morning? What if God gave you a multi-million dollar idea? What what if? What if? What what if you actually thought like that? God, you know... I have people all the time, hey, pastor, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket. Pray that I win. And you know what? That, that, I, don't, I don't think it's a sinful thing. I think people have fun with that. And you, you, know, you manage your money right, and you want to do that, and that's your entertainment. Fine. I don't think there's any difference in doing that and scratching off your ticket than there is going and spending $150,000 to go to a movie because God knows you about have to mortgage your house just to buy popcorn and Cokes when you go to the movie. You know, I, I, I don't. I, I probably offended somebody just by saying that. But you know, did you know that most of the time, ninety-eight percent of the people who do win one hundred and fifty, three hundred, eight hundred million dollars in the lottery five years from now ain't got nothing. How, how many times have have rock stars or musicians signed multi-million dollar contracts and had millions upon millions of dollars only turn around just a few years later and 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 be belly up? NFL. NBA, Major League Baseball players because they don't know how to manage the blessings of God that are coming in their lives. Are you, are you following me this morning? Our problem is not the blessing. Our problem is are we managing our blessings the right way? The issue is a capacity issue. I mean, you know what? If I, I, I believe that if it were me, that if somebody came to me and said, yeah, I want you to go borrow, I would have basically told the whole town, bring your extra vessels over here. But you know what? As long as there was room to receive and there was capacity, look at your neighbor and say, make room for growth. Use what you have. It's a capacity issue. 
And, and, and folks, let me just remind you this morning, you want God to bless your finances, make him a partner in your finances. I, I don't apologize. Everybody is a believer. If you're going to be a Christian, we tell you at Victory that we expect you to give. I don't require people to give a tithe. That's between you and God. I know people in churches in Memphis that the pastor will meet with you and you got to show up with your tax return. They're going to check your tax return to see if you... And they're giving records to see if you gave 10%. I, I'm, I don't want anything to do with that level of control. That's manipulation. A couple of you probably been in churches that do that kind of nonsense. Don't, don't believe it. We've never knocked on a door. We've never made an appointment with you and come by and made you sign a pledge card so that we could set a budget. We've just always set our budgets in faith around here. But I'm going to be honest and tell you that if you will give to the Lord what is his, and he says the tithe belongs to him, Leviticus 27, Basically, what you're saying when you don't tithe is you're saying, I can do better by myself with the 100% managing it than if I will give God 10 and God puts his blessing on the other 90 and he multiplies that 90. Are you an idiot? Don't get offended at me. I'm, it's, just a, it's just a way of kind of helping you to wake up. How much better can I do if I will give God, make him my partner and say, God, this is yours. Now, you've promised if I would do this that you would bless all the rest. Now, I expect your blessing to be to show up and for you to show out in my life. Somebody, come on, so put your hands together and say amen. I, I, I've got one scripture. I just want to roll this one out to you here, and it's in, it's in the other one. Let me grab it here real quick. Did y'all get anything out of this this morning? All right, Malachi 3, this is it. Verse, where is it? He says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so that there will be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Listen to this. Try it. Put me to the test. There's two verses in the Old Testament that say, test God. And this is one of them. Try it. Prove me now herewith, the King James says. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. When we make God our partner, when we put our trust in him and we say, Lord, I want you, I'm going to give you this that's yours and I believe that you're going to put your hand of blessing on all the rest. Remember, whatever God blesses, he multiplies. It is my job to increase in knowledge and wisdom so that I can faithfully steward the increase of God in my life. Use what you have. Everybody in your house. You know what? When my finances get tight, I... They, nobody has more clothes than a fat man. And I go and I dig out and I go and I, I bless folks. I've given so many young men in this church suits and, and sport coats and jackets and all kind of stuff over the years as I have yo-yoed up and down back and forth. And those that didn't want any of it, I'd take it to the mission or to Good Neighbor Center or whatever we had at the time. And Veterans, and I mean, I'll, I'm looking for opportunities to be able to give and bless somebody. Because if you keep casting your bread on the water, 
then soon it'll begin to roll back in on every wave. Come on, somebody, put your hands together. Give the Lord praise. I'm just a couple minutes over, so let me pray. I hope you've got something out of this this morning. Whatever God blesses multiplies. There is increase. There's exponential return. God has invested in you, and now we need to turn and invest in others, invest in his kingdom. Father, we thank you today for this word as we bow our hearts together, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. The greatest investment that God has ever made was in the unspeakable gift of his son, Jesus Christ. And if you personally have never crossed the line of faith and said, Jesus, be Savior, be Lord of my life, change my life, that's God's greatest injection of heavenly capital into your life. It's an investment of the life of God. This morning, it's not something you can work for or deserve or earn, but it's very simply just saying, God, by faith, I put my trust in you. And if there's anything in this message this morning where God has stirred your heart, maybe to a a place of generosity to give, to encourage, to strengthen someone to come alongside them. This is not just about money. Generosity is an overall lifestyle. It's an attitude. It's an action. It's in words. It's in deeds. It's in thoughts. So if that's you this morning, or if you've never crossed the line of faith, just all in one, heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around, would you slip your hand up? I want to pray for you this morning. Anybody in the room? Yes, thank you. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for these who've lifted their hands, strengthened and encouraged by the power of the Holy Spirit. We look to you. We thank you for the blessing of God that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. Help us, Lord, to understand that abundance, the abundance of grace, righteousness, that we're not who we used to be, but now in Christ, we are new creations. We turn to you, we turn from our past, and we say, Jesus, save us. We put our trust in you. It's in your name that we pray and all of God's people said. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. Amen.